Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hello, today I get to introduce you to my new friend, Rachel Dodge. I thought she lived in Sacramento, but she told me she just moved to Tennessee. She is an author, writer, a devotional writer, a mom of two and a wife. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. And I, and you're also, I would consider you a kindred spirit, which is what your book books are about. And um, we'll get more into that idea. So welcome today. And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, great. Um, among all the not- notabilities, uh, I was reading up on your podcast, uh, Rachel has written her master's thesis on etiquette. I think that is terrific on etiquette and in Pride and Prejudice. And Pride and and Prejudice is probably the most famous of Jane Austen's, uh, maybe because of the movies, right? Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So why did you choose that for your master's thesis? And is it like a PhD where it has to be unique? Has somebody else written on it as well? Do you know? Yeah, it needs to be unique. And I don't think anyone has written on what I wrote about specifically. I focused in somewhat on Elizabeth Bennett and then some of the more minor characters and Jane Bennett and talking about etiquette, specifically women's etiquette in Pride and Prejudice and this idea of the idealized female that Mm. was in literature at the time. And I think Jane Austen kind of broke the mold because she said that Elizabeth Bennett was the most delightful creature she'd ever seen in print. <laughs> she loved that character. Huh. And Elizabeth Bennett is anything but perfect. And so I that's I was always fascinated by that. So I looked at what was the ideal woman supposed to look like through conduct literature of the time and then compared it to what was Jane Austen's ideal real woman. Mm-hmm. And from that, did your books come or did you just sort of set that aside? You did that as an assignment to get your master's? Yeah, I mean, that was part of that was just part of my master's degree. And then I spoke and wrote about Austin for years until Mm. there was this wonderful opportunity to write a devotional book on her prayers. And that's what Mm. got me into the devotional writing. Okay, that was going to be one of my questions is how you uh, got into it. Um, Which movie rendition of Pride and Prejudice do you prefer? Oh, I mean, I love the 1995 BBC version. It just goes on and on and on forever, which it is does. My favorite. <laughs> oh, dear. I probably should start it today because it's raining so hard on the Central Coast oh. and it's a cozy day for Jane Austen, that's for sure. You know, I had never heard of that one. I had first been introduced to um, the movie. It was through the uh, more populous maybe one with what's her name? I can't remember her name. She's so beautiful. Kira Knightley, yes. that one? Yeah. Yes, and I saw it in the theaters when it came out with my oldest daughter, and we How loved fun. it. And now I find out that my youngest, she said, well, I listened to the soundtrack. I think I put that on your Instagram. I listened to the soundtrack uh, that got her through doing all her homework in undergrad at or- University of Oregon. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Me too. Well, they're both great. I did finally watch the other one, and it's time to watch it again, that's for sure. Um, have you been to Prince Edward Island? 
changing you know, I did, yes yeah. i went in i think it was maybe 92 it was right between my eighth grade and ninth grade summer and i went with my family to the east coast and went to prince wow. edward island that was wow. our, our goal <laughs> i was wondering so your so your mom was into it as much as you oh yes my mom is anna green gables she's the one she and my dad both actually and they introduced me to the movies and the book and all of that you know the books back I think I was probably fourth, fifth, sixth grade when I started watching the movies and reading the books. And then I just lived in the world of Anne Shirley for years and years and years. And so they said, we have to go to Prince Edward Island and see this gorgeous place that we've seen on the movies. And so we saved and saved and saved and took our big family summer trip to um, DC and New York. And then our final destination was the, you know, crowning glory was the Prince Edward Island part of our trip, which was yeah. It's so beautiful. Have you been there? Yes, I have. And that's why I was asking you. But oh. strangely enough, I was a reader growing up. I never read Anne of Green Gables. And a friend of mine said, what? You haven't? As an adult, I said, I haven't. And then let's see. Um, right before we're married, a friend had a sober and we watched the Megan Fellows one, Fellows mm -hmm. series. And my husband, even though he's not much, he's not very emotional or emotive, he loved them, and we've watched them many times. And I always say, well, I'm a redheaded English teacher who married a doctor, so of course we love them. That's perfect. <laughs> and that's how we got, uh, probably how I convinced my husband, but we took a, a cruise starting in Quebec, Ooh. and then we went to all those islands, and so it was so delightful. And that then there, there's all those gift shops, you know, so he saw a photo opportunity. So we put a red wig on and held the suitcase and we posted <laughs> it everywhere. And my friends go, how did you get your husband to do that? I go, he did it on his own. He has a silly side to his nature. Um, so you have written many books, the Anne of Green Gables devotional. That was your first, the little woman devotional, which I love all the versions, um, mm -hmm. praying with Jane, Jane Austen, of course, 31 days through the prayers of Jane Austen. And then your latest is the secret garden devotional. What right. first gave you the idea to write spiritually from famous, well-loved literature? Did you feel a little afraid to approach the literature and trying to spiritualize it? I did. I did at first. Um, I did. I actually started with the with the Jane Austen with the prayers, and there was hmm. so much. I felt a lot of pressure, even just because a lot of fans of Jane Austen are very scholarly in that world. Oh. It was just. I mean, if you make one mistake, they're all going to go. Now, did you know it's actually? <laughs> and so I really had to had to pray a lot and kind of try to set that aside and really just look at what her prayers were about and take things from her books and from her own letters and things like that to, and her family history and her own personal history, everything I could find about her and her faith and um, weave that all together. And it actually, it's been neat because so many Jane Austen fans who actually are really curious about her faith and her prayers have enjoyed it so much. Um, and then that led into these these companion books, as I call them, the, the next three, these chapter by chapter devotionals that are based on the classics. And and yes, each with each one, there's a little bit of that, oh, you know, I'm going to look at the spiritual truths in a book that um, may have a lot of Christian themes, but wasn't necessarily set out to be a Christian book. Hmm. And, you know, you never know if you're going to get some um, kickback from people, but thankfully I've never had a problem. No one's, I mean, every once in a while you'll get someone that says, well, so-and-so was a feminist. She wouldn't have agreed with this. And well, I'm not talking about her beliefs or the authors. I just focus on what's in the text 
that's kind of the safe place to write about. And just what does it say? And what can we learn from it? And Rachel, Jesus was a feminist. So I don't think you need to worry about that. (laughs) And I'm 70. And I say that with full, you know, uh, there's things about the feminist. We're not talking politics, but, you know, Jesus lifted the role of women up more than anybody else. And people who criticize Christianity don't realize that unless they read the Mm -hmm. scripture, they read the gospels and then we'll find that to be true. Um, What you're saying reminds me what our church started doing several years ago in the summer. We're, we're an exegetical teaching church. Like we go verse by verse during the year, Mm -hmm. but in the summer, we're a little more loosey goosey and the pastor and the team will um, choose three current movies that, you know, it's harder Mm -hmm. and harder to find them that you can actually show to the whole congregation. And Mm -hmm. he preaches on them and shows clips. And the theme is real grace, R E E L. And I'm getting to a point here that will have to do with you. But the idea is, and he says, seeing gospel shadows in contemporary culture. And there are that whole redemption thing, the Lord of the Rings. Um, But I have never thought about that while reading these books. And I think you're a real gift, a real gift to be able to see this, this, you know, because all truth is God's truth. I think you would agree with that. Yeah. And if you see a, a, a mention of truth that someone who's not even purporting to be a Christian, you you still believe it because it's God's truth, right? Yeah. Well, and I think every bit of literature, there's always some kind of redemption story because as humans, we're just drawn to that. We we're looking for, you know, the the I don't know, the hero on the white horse, a savior type. You know, we just look for those things. We love hearing. Um, I loved working with the Anna Green Gable story because instantly as I started praying over doing a devotional based on it, it immediately the Lord put on my heart, adopted in Christ. That oh, is yeah. like the theme and just this idea of being children of God and the whole theme of Matthew Cuthbert and Anne Shirley. It was so all about God's love for us as his adopted daughters. And mm-hmm. that that theme was so exhilarating and special and touching and sentimental for me to write. And it's because those themes touch on touch something in each of us. We all have that longing to be loved, to feel secure, comforted, safe, wanted to belong. Um, and those are all things that truly can only be satisfied through a relationship with Christ and being adopted into the kingdom of God as, you know, co-heirs and, um, you know, children of God, but, also, we get to see tangible pictures of that on earth through our relationships with people or through literature and stories that really can touch our hearts as Christians, but I think even can help us to relate with anybody. You know, we could talk about a, a faith topic with anyone by saying, you know, when you're growing up, did you ever wish that you did you have a great father figure or did you ever wish you did? And then you could start right there. And so I could talk about how Anne longed for someone to love her mm-hmm. and for her to have a home and a family. And that's something that we all inherently want as humans. And so those themes are so, they can be relatable to anyone. I think that's why, you know, we love these books for, you know, these books stay so popular because they're relatable. Um, but there are these beautiful themes and at each chapter, as you go through classic books, um, you can just find these sweet themes that are they're relatable to any person. I mean, if it says mm-hmm. anyone ever felt rejected and unwanted, yep. Mm-hmm. So did Anne Shirley, oh. you know. <laughs> well, I think God has gifted you to be able to see those things. And oh, um, no, it's true. Do you feel like the books are only for Christians? I really hope not. That My prayer is always that, that there would be something 
I, I, my, my kind of vision I had when I started writing these books was to create actually a gospel bridge from great literature to the Bible so that anybody who likes any of these books could read this devotion, these devotionals. And, you know, while they are written for someone who is really interested in walking with the Lord, I, I hope that they also act as an kind of intro or in, invitation as well. Mm -hmm. um, every one of my devotional books, I feel really strongly about it. And I know sometimes it can feel a little awkward or on the nose, but I always have an invitation at the back as well for anybody who doesn't know the mm -hmm. Lord. And, you know, they could either pray the prayer that I've written out or, um, I give a kind of a gospel presentation and then I always, you know, say, reach out to me or, you know, someone else that, you know, because books have been one of the ways God has spoken to me over the years, whether it's Christian fiction, or if it's just a story that he, that's how God sometimes speaks to people is through the written word. And so I try to make it so that, you know, a Christian could get a lot out of it because then you have the other end where it's like, well, it's not deep enough or something. So I really try to get in there with some deep truths, but also make it very inviting for someone who's maybe curious about the Lord or wants to grow deeper in their faith. Hmm. I love it that you put the plan of salvation in your own words and the gospel prayer at the end, because you never know where that book is going to end up, like in, yeah. an air, in an airport or even someone has left things in a waiting room. And they come across it, or it's a gift that's so, um, it's so beautiful. I mean, the little illustrations, it's hardback. It makes a great gift. I mean, mine is not as great, but sometimes I've used my books as a hostess gift and they thought, well, they won't know what hit them until they open it up. But, you know, they think, <laughs> oh, it's great because you wrote it. I thought, well, it's not necessarily great because I wrote it, but hopefully the gospel truth will permeate their hearts, you yes. know, and wow, what a great thing. I, I think we are kindred spirits that way. I, think so too. I always try to tuck a book in even when I'm traveling and leave one behind. Good for you. How did you go? How, how do you go about um, making a devotional from a classic piece of literature? I just, as a writer, I just am curious mm -hmm. how you do it. Yeah. So the, the format that I just am drawn to maybe because I'm kind of an orderly linear person is I came up with this idea to do chap them chapter by chapter so that I felt like you're not going to miss anything from the story. You can truly read a chapter of Anne Green Gables and then open up the devotional, read the day oh. one of the devotional book. Oh, I didn't so know that. It has, yeah. So there's a devotional entry for every chapter of each of these books. And so it really is a companion. And then for me as a writer, I enjoy it because I just, my process writing these is usually I actually sit down with a journal Mm -hmm. I like to start just by writing on paper and I will have, you know, Anna Green Gables or Little Women, whatever book I'm working on in front of me with my journal, my Bible, and I read the chapter that I'm going to be working on. And I just stay in that little world of that for, you know, chapter one or whatever of Little Women, um, chapter one of Secret Garden. And then I just work my way through it very chronologically, really. It's kind of how I work. But each time I read a chapter, you know, there's there are some times where I think, oh, there's so many beautiful lessons in this chapter I could write about. But there's usually one thing that the Lord will pinpoint as I pray mm -hmm. through it. And there'll be, you know, a quote that really pops out. So the way I format each entry is I take one quote from that chapter of the novel and then a key scripture verse. And then I do the devotional from that, you know, give a little summary of the book, you know, that chapter of kind of what's happening, you know, Anne's in this scrape and she's done this thing. And then I go into some Bible application and personal application and a short prayer. 
Hmm. And that format, I think, has become um, a really nice way for a, a lot of, I, I just have a lot of readers that will re- reach out. And I think it's been a neat way for people to make their devotional times, um, I guess, maybe just kind of creative or more, ref- you know, just to kind of refresh from what they might normally do. And because they're based on comfort reads, people tend to pick them up again is what I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's how I format them. That's how mm-hmm. I set them up and kind of just take one key theme from each chapter. Um, well, that's amazing. It's still a gift. And uh, my favorite quote from Anne is, and I quote it all the time when I'm writing or even speaking is, uh, today's a new day, fresh with no mistakes in it yet. Because <laughs> yes. she she made so many mistakes and so do I. Um, yeah. And of course, the God's mercies are new every morning would be the scripture for that for me anyway. Now, yes. do you ever feel nervous like, hey, I didn't get anything out of this particular chapter? Because you have to find <laughs> if you're doing it chronologically, it's not like you can pick and choose. Like when I speak, I'll just, well, right. this is where I got it so I can do it. But you're yes. saying, oh, now this chapter was kind of bland for me. Does that ever happen? Obviously, it hasn't happened in these books, but. It actually does happen. It's, it is tricky. And sometimes, you know, these are older books. I don't know today if, you know, probably doesn't matter either way, but there's some chapters that are really short or others that are super long. And I know um, I can't think exactly of an example off the top of my head, but I know with each book, I've had one or two chapters that were, I call I would always say they won't behave, you know, it's like, ah, I can't figure this one out. it's, you know, four pages long and, you know, Anne is having this conversation about such and such. I think that's what it is. There is one that I forget if it was that chapter that it was kind of a short chapter, but there's something where it's, she's been at Green Gables a year or something. And so it's a very short chapter. There isn't much to it, if I remember correctly. And, but I just remember as I prayed over it, the Lord just showed me, look what happened in one year, how much has changed for Anne in one year oh. and how much has changed for Marilla. So sometimes it's being a bit creative, spending a long time in prayer, journaling, starting a, ch- I've rewritten, you know, certain entries over and over trying to get, of course. I always feel like kind of like uh, I'm chiseling away, you know, trying to find <laughs> what is the message and for me, that means I, I write and I write and I write until I finally feel like I've struck gold and said, okay, that's the message. And then I have to get rid of a bunch of stuff and go, go for that. What, um, what is your definition of a kindred spirit? Ooh, I always think of it as someone who is like-minded and like-hearted. So that could be, I mean, for me, that's faith too. You know, we're like-hearted, we're like-minded that we share, um, similar styles and tastes and, and, um, you know, it's kind of similar sensibilities, I guess we're, we're similar in what we, the things that delight us, mm. I think, because I, I, I find it so fun. One of my favorite, um, quotes from the book is when she says, you know, kindred spirits aren't so scarce as I thought, you know, that Anne is excited to know that there's more kindred spirits in the world than she knew when she was younger. And I think that's true too. As I get older, I, I meet more and more kindred spirits. And, and for me, it's when I meet someone that says, Oh, I like old books too. Oh, I like antiques. Oh, I like drinking tea, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, when you're, when I was growing up, it was kind of like, well, that's not cool. You know, <laughs> don't, don't mention that you really love going to, you know, tour old Victorian houses or whatever. But now I've found a lot of people really like that kind yeah. of stuff. You know? I well, used to do it with my mother. Downton Abbey or whatever. Yes. I used to tour old houses in Southern California with my mom. You know, oh, it was that's just so a fun. fun. Yeah. Cause she'd have all these stories. 
Um, mm-hmm. Now, are Christians, by definition, all kindred spirits? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's a difficult question. I don't know. I, I feel like they, we, if, if my de- definition is that we're like-minded and like-hearted, I would think probably we should be on some level kindred spirits because we would be kindred in the Lord. But I suppose you could have different interests in your life. Totally. Think, you know, those are maybe two different things, our values versus our interests. <laughs> yeah. And God has made us so unique. And yeah. I think he's given, at least he's given me a longing to have a kindred spirit, just like Anne of Green Gables, which yeah. also just means we we long for intimacy with another human being. That's and uh, as an extrovert, I need, you know, 12 kindred spirits, but as an introvert, <laughs> my husband could use one every two years, you know, uh, he just yep. doesn't have that same need, but our kindredness in the Lord is something different. I think it's yeah. because we have a faith that uh, a faith in Christ, that he is all we need. And that is our kindredness. But as far as having coffee with every Christian, no, I don't think so. Um, If someone feels like they don't have a kindred spirit, someone who's listening today, what counsel can you give them if they're longing for one? Mm, That's such a good, good question, because that's something that is always on my heart especially as I was writing some of the chapters because Anne wanted a kindred spirit so badly and it took her a long time to find one. And Diana Berry was her bosom friend that she'd always wanted a bosom friend. And she'd had these imaginary friends for so long. And then she finally meets someone and totally throws herself out there and says, do you want to be bosom friends? Like the minute they meet. Yeah. <laughs> so glad Diana wasn't freaked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, for me personally, it, over the years to make new friends and find kindred spirits, um, it's involved, you know, several things. Sometimes a lot, for me, I always ask the Lord to add to my circle of friends, the people he would like for me to have, because um, it might not be what they look like on the outside or that we might not be exactly the same. And that kindred spirit heart might um be packaged in a way I'm not expecting. So I always want to ask the Lord to kind of match me up with people that I could learn from and be challenged by, but also that we could encourage and comfort each other and, you know, support each other and be there for each other. So I, I try to pray that the Lord would match me up with, with friends, you know, good friends. And then, I mean, I've moved recently. So I think part of it too, is going to things and putting yourself out there, which is hard to do, but my family, we kind of talk about, um, we need more newbie energy. It's like, okay, I'm kind of <laughs> tired of doing all the things and being brave. And then you get, you know, give yourself a week and go, okay, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm going to go to a writing group. I'm going to go to coffee with this lady I just met. And I don't know. It's almost like you slowly over time start to go think, oh, I think we're clicking. We have, there's more there. I'd love to talk to that person more. Um, but to answer your question, I think there, it, it can be kind of lonely if you feel like you don't have a kindred spirit. Um, so if anyone's listening, I just want to encourage you that I really think there's someone, at least one person that you're going to find who shares a lot of your same interests. And for me, it's been going to Bible study over the years is usually where I've met my close friends and, and some book groups and just going to things where we might share the same interests and the same, same heart. And then you start to kind of sift through and go, oh yeah, we're clicking. It takes some of it just takes a lot of time and it you can give, and give yourself grace and don't give up. And then you'll be surprised out of the, I like to say God shows up out of the blue. 
he's 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 known all along who you need to be close with um we just need to keep trusting him and trust is part of the process um we're going to be closing in just a few minutes but i want to ask you uh, what legacy do you want to be leaving for those who know and love you i love that question i I think about that a lot, um, especially looking at these authors, you know, they left an amazing legacy with their writing. And I know for me, I, my legacy, I would say would first start with my kids. And, you know, if I someday have grandkids, obviously I would want them to know that I, that I love the Lord and that I pray and I read my Bible and I take my faith really seriously. And that I, you know, have a heart for discipleship and would want each of my kids and grandkids to, follow the Lord and know the joy of the Lord. Um, I think, you know, writing these books has been the great, one of the greatest privileges of my life. And I hope that that kind of adds to that legacy, even that, you know, I maybe have my grandkids might someday pick up my devotional books absolutely, and, and find something, you know, walk closely with the Lord maybe as a result, because grandma or great grandma wrote this devotional. I guess I'll pick it up and look at it. Um, but, you know, I, I would say the same with, with anyone I meet that I, I hope they feel um, loved by me and that I've, I've been able to encourage them or bless them in some way. I, I want their lives to be enriched having known me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not just because, oh, she's such a nice lady or whatever, but, or what I could, you know, oh, she brought me dinner, but you know, really that was I able to maybe share something that's one of my favorite things to do is encourage people with a scripture or, you know, just I'm kind of a check-in person. I love to check in on people and text, send a text and see how they're doing. And I love to pray for people too. So I, I hope, I hope people would say, you know, I know she prays. I know she cared about me. You know, I know she loves the Lord and wants me to grow in my faith and, and feel loved by Jesus you know, as her main, main goal. Plus I like to be silly and have fun. So <laughs> Well, it reminds me of something that uh, Oswald Chambers wrote was that when you leave the room, will they think of Jesus? Oh, and yeah. I just think that is so, <sighs> I don't want them to think of me because I'm a big mouth or because I can mm-hmm. cook or whatever. Yeah. I'm not a great cook, but I'm an okay cook. I don't want them saying, oh, Sue's so wonderful. I want them saying there is something there. I'm not sure what I put my finger on. And you mm-hmm. just answered the last question, which is, how does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? If people feel welcomed into your life, I think you've filled out your passion and your legacy. Yeah, I really hope so. I think you're right. If I would like, I, I was, when I was in grad school, I remember at the when I graduated, over and over people said, you are so sweet or, oh, you're so nice. And I know that's a, that's a great compliment, but right. it actually, for me at the time, I just thought, you know, when I was in grad school, I don't know if I was really outwardly sharing my faith very much. And I thought, gosh, I would almost wish they would have said, you know, man, you're always sticking to you. You really love the Lord or something. Not you're so nice. And I hope that I have um, kind of shifted how I am a bit more that I I do share like, Hey, I, I would love to help you out with this. I would love to talk with you about deeper subjects. I, you know, and that they would know I'm a Christian first and not just a nice person, I guess. Yeah. And you don't want to be a not nice person. That's for sure. No. <laughs> now, um, Rachel's going to be giving away her latest book. Uh, this will be around, well, let's see, this is January. This probably won't go out until April or May, but it would make a great Mother's Day gift. And your latest book is The Secret Garden. Is that right? The Secret okay. Garden Devotional. That's right. And whoever wins, I've never done this before, but whoever wins the giveaway, I'm going to also send them a copy of The Secret Garden. So then they would have The Secret Garden and your devotional. How's that? 
Oh my goodness. That's so special. What a great well, gift. It'll be fine. I'll look for one at Mission Thrift for, <laughs> but I, yeah. no, I want a new copy, <laughs> a new copy. And that you have been a delight, Rachel. Thank you so much for offering to be on my podcast. And um, this will make such great gifts for Christmas, birthdays, and I think all ages, wouldn't you say? Definitely all yeah. ages. I yeah. have younger girls that enjoy it all the way through very nostalgic older ladies. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to leave with our audience? Just, I just, I just hope that whoever's listening, it knows that the Lord loves them and is very close and personal and wants to be with them each step of the day and wants to give them renewed hope. That's what the secret garden devotional is about is just, we're waiting for spring and renewed hope that after a long winter season, God always brings spring again. Wow. That's so beautiful. I wish we had more time to talk about the themes of every chapter. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thanks again, Rachel. God bless you. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.